Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the chapter that we read earlier in the service, Galatians and chapter 1. Let me read for you once again the passage we're going to look at specifically from verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I now seek to please men? But if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. It was only a few days ago that Sir David Amos, a member of Parliament, was stabbed to death in the area of Southampton, uh, Southampton, South End, get that right, in South End. And that created a whole series of shockwaves among the members of Parliament, the people who he knew in his constituency, and throughout our nation. And it provoked a number of different reactions. Shock, grief, horror, frustration, anger. A few weeks before that, you may remember the Taliban took over Afghanistan again so quickly. A matter of days. And again, shockwaves reverberated around the world as people reacted to what had taken place in Afghanistan. Here in Galatia, what was happening here sent shockwaves back to Paul. We're not sure where he was. He may have been in Antioch. But he got to hear about what was happening to the Galatian churches. He received bad news. They were being infiltrated by troublemakers who were drawing them away from the gospel. And he reacts. He doesn't react tearing his hair out. He doesn't react in anger and lets loose. What we do see, though, first of all, is his utter astonishment. I marvel, he says in verse 6, that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. It was Paul who had preached the gospel of God to them. How soon? We're not sure. This event took place. But they were being overwhelmed by people who were coming in and they were saying things that were contradictory to what the Apostle Paul had been saying. 
It's notable in this letter to the Galatians that Paul dispenses with the usual prayers of thanksgiving. He is so shocked, he is so perplexed, he is so troubled, he's almost open-mouthed in amazement. In chapter 3 he says, Who has bewitched you? Who's cast a spell over you? He had preached the gospel to him, to them. And there is no complacency now on his part. He is deeply concerned. He is alarmed. He is utterly astonished. You are turning away, he says, so soon from this gospel. And more importantly than that, you're turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ. You're turning away from God himself. You're turning away from God the Father because he's the one who has called you in the grace of Christ. Here is a serious case then of desertion, of disloyalty. They are changing sides. Some of you will know what a turncoat is. It's an old term that is used people in, in an army when someone or a group of people decide they're going to change sides. They've been fighting the enemy, then they go and join the enemy. They're called turncoats. They're disloyal. And he says, that's what you're doing. You may remember the story of Ahithophel. Ahithophel was David's wise counsellor. And when Absalom seized the throne, Ahithophel decided, I'm not going to follow David anymore. I'm going to go over to the side of Absalom. He was a turncoat. He was disloyal. He was unfaithful to David. He joined the enemy. Now these Galatians lacked discernment. They couldn't see that what the issue was. Paul could see it as clear as daylight. And he reacts in utter astonishment and writes this letter to the Galatian churches. He says, you're being sucked into another gospel. But in fact, he says, it's not another gospel. There is only one gospel. This is something different altogether. You can't see it. You can't discern it. How did that happen? Well, we're told in verse 7, there are troublemakers among the Galatians. That's how Paul labels them. These are troublemakers. And he says they want to pervert the gospel. That's strong language. They're twisting it. They're turning it. They're distorting it. They're laying violent hands on Christ's gospel and distorting the grace of God. It's interesting that Paul uses the same word there in verse 7 as was used in Acts 15 and the letter that was sent out after the Jerusalem council. It's there in verse 24. The letter was greeting. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. They found their way to Galatia. They were troubling them with words. They were preaching something which was not the true gospel. They were insisting on circumcision and the keeping of the law. And that's the issue here in Galatia. These people have reached Galatia 
And that's what they're saying. They're saying, yes, Jesus Christ is the Saviour, but it's not enough. You Gentiles in particular, you must be circumcised. You must keep the law of Moses. They wanted to add then to the gospel, add to the grace of God, add to the saving power of Christ. They wanted to add works. They wanted to add circumcision and the keeping of the law. But the moment you begin, begin to add something that is human like that, and human effort and human role to play, what happens? You begin to draw attention away from Christ and the works become far more important than the gospel and therefore Jesus Christ becomes more and more a distant figure. And that's what was happening here. You see, Paul summarizes it in chapter 2 of Galatians, verse 16. We know, he says, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the flesh no, sorry, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Can you see then, even from what we've briefly said, the essence of the gospel is at stake. The truth of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, and that we are justified by faith in Christ. And we depend entirely upon the righteousness of Christ in order to be able to be accepted before God. That is the essence of the gospel. And that is at stake. That matter is at stake here. It's a very serious threat. You begin to see then why he was so aghast and astonished and upset and why he wrote this letter urgently to the churches in Galatia. One of the things that you observe as you read through church history, how quickly error can get a hold of the minds and the hearts of the people of God comes with an alarming speed and it comes here hot on the heels of an apostle of Christ who has preached only recently to them the truth concerning Jesus Christ. So you see, even an apostle who comes and preaches a gospel, that is no guarantee that everybody will follow that gospel after he's gone. And that should put us on our toes and make us aware we're up against Satan. It is Satan work at work he sows the seeds of error he draws men and women away from jesus christ and once the church loses the cutting edge of the gospel it loses its effectiveness no longer salt and light the poor will have no compromise no mixture he is saying in effect you cannot reconcile truth and error you cannot mix grace and works but how would he deal with it it's one thing to react in utter astonishment 
But we see, secondly, Paul's severe censure in verses 8, 9, and 10. Twice in this passage, Paul says, regarding these troublers and perverters of the gospel, let them be accursed who preach a different gospel. Now, some people read this section of scripture and say, oh, they scoff at the apostle and say, what an opinionated bigot, utterly intolerant of everybody else who doesn't believe what he believes. You've only got to contradict him and down comes a judgment, down comes a curse. He's arrogant, he's conceited, he's unloving, he's judgmental. No wonder he fell out with the likes of Peter and Barnabas. You couldn't work with him. Is that true? That's a lie. Far from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Paul was deeply aggrieved. He was deeply upset. But at the same time, he faces error head on and exposes it and calls down a curse. Is that how we are to react every time someone crosses our path? Well, Paul didn't always react that way. It depends what the real cause of the problem is. There was an occasion, it's recorded for us in the first chapter of the book, the letter to the Philippians. There were, Paul was in prison, and there were those who were taking advantage of the fact that Paul was in prison. Bit of one-upmanship, if you like. Out of selfish ambition, and out of envy, and out of strife, they thought they could get one up on the Apostle Paul. And they were taking advantage of that situation. But Paul does not call down a curse on them. Rather, he rejoices that they're preaching the same gospel. They're preaching the truth. They're doing it from entirely wrong motives. But he rejoices that the truth is being proclaimed. Here it's very different. A very different situation indeed. Here is a case where people have changed the message of the gospel. They've added to it. And the addition, if it's allowed to go on, as I said before, will become far more important than looking to Jesus Christ. Paul is adamant here. He's saying, this is a different gospel. It's not a gospel at all. It's a perversion, it's a distortion. However winsome their words may be, however great their claims, however insistent they are, what they are saying is not the truth and not to be included and placed alongside the gospel. There is no meeting point. There is no common ground here. Paul is adamant. Look, he says, if we come, or he said, even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches another gospel, accursed, anathema, that's what it, literally the literal word. If anyone, verse 9, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. 
Now it's clear that Paul is repeating himself here and it may be that he's already said this to them. To make it quite clear, he's underlining what he's already said to them. And it indicates to us the strength of his feeling and his convictions and his consistency. But what does it mean for Paul to pronounce a curse? An anathema. Well, anathema literally means something that is placed up, put up in a temple, an offering to a god in a temple. That's the way it is used in the ancient world. It's something that is devoted to God. And what Paul is saying here, he's putting another slight twist on it and saying, this is devoted and handed over to God for judgment, for destruction, in a realm beyond the power of man. You're handing this matter over and the people who are doing these things to God for judgment. Paul will not kowtow to these men. He says in verse 10, Do I now persuade men or God? Am I a man pleaser? Is that, is that, is that what drives me? I'm, I'm, I'm driven by wanting to please men? No way! If I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And so Paul gives this severe Censure. It shows you how seriously he takes the issue. The error, but how seriously he also says, this is a departure from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what is at stake here. Now these people may well have believed that Jesus was the son of God. They certainly would have believed in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, but they were saying it's not enough. It simply isn't enough. But that was distorting the gospel by adding circumcision and the law of Moses. And Paul here is defending the honor and glory of God, the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. You see, as many, he says in chapter 3 and verse 10, as are of the works of the law are under the curse. He brings it out again. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you're going to insist that works has a place in your standing before God, then you've got to be able to produce a clean sheet. No blemishes, no stains, no sins. You've got to fulfill the whole law. That's the implication. And Paul says, but that's the totally wrong way of going about it. No one is justified by the law, verse 11 of chapter 3, in the sight of God, is evident. The just shall live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk, the prophet. The law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Christ is enough. Christ is sufficient. He's done everything that we need. He's become a curse for us. Cursed is everyone who dies on the tree. You see, he's insisting we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ has been put to our account. 
And that is the basis of our standing before God. And we don't need to add anything to it. What a wonderful gospel. But we don't need to add anything to it at all. And if we do, then we are drawing attention away from Christ. We are undermining our own salvation. But what is Paul's basis for this? Why is he so adamant? That's the third thing that I want us to concentrate on this morning. It's Paul's conviction that the gospel that he preaches is God's gospel. That's why he is alarmed. That's why he brings this severe censure. I make known, verse 11, to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, before we look at this in more detail, do you share Paul's persuasion and conviction that this gospel that he preached, and we find in our Bibles that this gospel is God's gospel? That's the issue. That's why Paul makes the stand that he does. There's a great disarray and confusion in the church of our own day. There are still troublemakers. There are still perverters of the gospel. It may not be the same issues that Paul is dealing with here. It may be other issues. But they are twisting and perverting the gospel of Christ. And it is our calling, your calling, my calling, and church's calling to maintain the truth of the gospel. If someone comes along and begins to tamper with the gospel and begins to alter it and to shape it into something different, they are troublers, they are troublemakers. And they should be exposed as such and dealt with as such. The issue is clear. Paul believes that this is God's gospel. Many years ago, uh, there was a pastor in the east end of London called Paul Tucker. He had a great influence upon our friend Ashiel Blaze. Uh, he was a pastor in the East London uh, Tabernacle. And uh, he was a very bold man. There wasn't much of him. He was a small man, and he had, he had, had polio as a child before you, know, you got polio injections. So he had one leg that was very weak and very limp. But you put him in the pulpit, boy, he was a different man. He was a faithful defender of the truth. And there was a famous preacher in London in another Baptist church. And this man wrote a book. And he was trying to say, look, here's the gospel. It's very down to earth. What he was doing was watering it down and changing it. Paul Tucker wrote a little booklet. Down to earth, but is it from heaven? That's the issue. That is the issue. Man or God? Paul's gospel was from heaven. It was from God. It was from Christ. He's insistent. Look, the gospel I preached is not according to man. I didn't make it up. I didn't receive it from men. I was not taught it by any other man. 
On the contrary, it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Direct revelation from Christ himself. He could have had it from no higher authority. It was from God, from Christ. Something that I received from Christ, how dare I then tamper it with it, change it, alter it? How dare these other men pervert it? They're troublemakers. They're not preaching the genuine thing. Now, remember, at the very beginning of this letter, he said, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. As an apostle, he had been called by Christ from heaven. And now the content of his message, that also is from Christ, from heaven. That's his fundamental persuasion and conviction, and he will not be moved one inch away from that conviction. He's received a divine call. He has a divine message. God intervened, converted him, changed his whole way of life and gave him the gospel to preach. The source is God. There is only one gospel and it is God's gospel. And there's no mixture. There's nothing of man in it. It's all of God. Paul will go on to prove the point that he is making from verse 13 on and into chapter 2 because he makes it quite clear that nothing before his conversion, nothing at his conversion, nothing after his conversion could alter this fundamental fact. He had received the gospel from Christ directly. And that gospel, well, Paul summarizes it elsewhere, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians 15, for example, uh, there we read, it might help if I was turning in the right direction in my Bible, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse uh, 2, he says, This gospel, I declare to you this gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you. That's again strong language. It's not something that he twisted and turned into something else before he delivered it. It's that which I also received. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. This is the gospel of our salvation and is contained for us in the scriptures, the written down word of God. What Paul has conveyed in his letters is now part of scripture so that we have the same gospel that he preached, the same gospel that Christ revealed to him. And in this context, that we are accepted before God, we stand before God only for the righteousness, by the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us and received by faith. That's the only way. That is the gospel. That is the one gospel. It's God's gospel. It's God's way. And I must ask you then, are you fully persuaded? 
fully persuaded of the deity, that is the Godhood of Jesus Christ. This is the God-man. Persuaded that by his death and burial and his resurrection, he secured the forgiveness of sins and secured a right standing for us before his God and our Father. And it is not by works at all. It is solely by Christ. If you rely on your works in any way, shape or form, you will have a problem. And it will be with you so long as you believe that you are saved by your works. You will always be asking, have I actually done enough? Is it good enough for God to accept me? You don't have that problem when you rely upon the righteousness of Christ. That's why he raised him from the dead. Vindicating him. Because the righteousness of Christ is perfect. It's all you need. And it's given to you the moment that you believe in Christ. And yet, you see, Martin Luther could say, it's so easy to smuggle in a little bit of works. Oh, that was a good prayer, wasn't it? I prayed well this morning. Well, you may have prayed well, but you're going to rely upon that? Is that the basis on which God is going to accept you? We could multiply that, couldn't we, many times over. You cannot rely upon anything that you have done because everything that you have done is stained with sin. It's tainted. It's corrupt. Even your best prayers need to be repented of. Your best works need to be repented of. They can never present you perfect in the sight of God. Only the righteousness of Christ. There may be some of you sitting here this morning. You've not yet turned to Christ. You're not yet trusting in Christ. And what I've said this morning may have awakened your conscience a little. And you may be thinking, oh, I better pull my socks up. I better try a bit harder. I'm not asking you to pull your socks up. I'm not asking you to turn and, and try a little bit harder. You try harder and you'll end up frustrated. Some of us have tried that. And we ended up in despair. Martin Luther ended up in despair. He nearly killed himself. Because he tried to save himself by his prayers and by his efforts. What is the alternative? To accept Jesus Christ as the gift of God's love. <laughs> to accept him as your saviour. To receive him as your saviour. Your only saviour. This is the gospel. I think you can see the difference between what these people, these troublemakers were saying and what Paul is saying. You don't need to be a Christian to understand that difference. It's plainly stated. But have you grasped the significance of that difference? And has your life been changed and altered and transformed? I don't want you to be deceived. But where is the deception? It may not be a troublemaker. The deception lies in here, in our own sinful hearts.
because we can hear all these things and we can harden our hearts and resist and saying, I, I don't need Christ. I don't want Christ. And what are you doing? Pushing him away? Do some of you here this morning pushing Jesus Christ away? Why, why would you do that? Here he is. The only way of salvation. Full of love. Full of tenderness. Full of kindness. And says to us in his gospel. Oh, everyone whom the father has given me will come to me. I'm in the business of saving men and women, boys and girls, from their sins. The Father has sent me into the world to do this, and they will come. But then he says something very, very important in John 6, in that verse. The one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's staggering. That means that if you come to Jesus Christ now... And come and cast yourself as a lost and guilty sinner upon Christ. He will receive you. Otherwise, he's a liar. So I'm pleading with you, don't harden your heart against Christ. And against his offer and his kindness and his love and his mercy. Why would you not come to Christ? A perfect, compassionate all-sufficient saviour you don't need to do anything you don't need to delay until you're better you'll never come at all says the hymn writer if you wait around until you're better because you can't improve yourself you can't present something that you will do so why delay why leave it why postpone it Christ stands with outstretched arms ready and willing to receive you and to save you this morning from your sins and to account you righteous in his sight. The gospel is very simple. It's our sinful hearts that make it complicated. <laughs> we put up the barriers. But maybe Christ, by his word and by his spirit, is calling you this morning to cast yourself upon Christ and you will never regret it. He will save you utterly and completely and present you before his Father faultless, blameless, no spot, no stain. There is nothing better. There is nothing else. And if you are one who is trusting in Christ, Make sure that you maintain your loyalty to Christ. None of you want to be called a turncoat. I certainly don't want to be called a turncoat. We need to hold fast to the gospel that we have believed, that has been delivered to us, that we've received. And our salvation will never be in doubt so long as we continue to rely upon Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, for our acceptance with God. That's what Paul is saying here. And we have to defend that truth. 
We have to preach it. We have to defend it. We have to explain it to people. And it will be an offence to some people. I may have told this story before. I apologise if you've heard it before. But many, many years ago, I took a meeting. It would have been some of Margaret Smith's friends. And there were about 25, 30 ladies. No men would turn up. They were all invited to come, but no men would turn up. So there were all these ladies... And I was explaining the very things I'm explaining now, but I was doing it from Philippians 3. And this lady was sitting about, we were in a circle, and she was about two or three chairs down. She said, are you telling me that this man, Saul of Tarsus, this vile man, this persecutor, this blasphemer, that he was forgiven by Christ and accepted by Christ? I said, yes, ma'am, you've got it in one. You've got it in one. She was furious. She was furious. Why was she furious? Because I was saying, it's not your contribution. You can't save yourself. And she would not hear. She would not receive. She left quite angry. Angry with me, but of course her anger was really against Christ. She would not be saved the way God had appointed salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. So you may well explain it. But don't expect everybody to lap it up and receive it. This is something which only can be received by the power of the Spirit of God and the work of the preaching of the gospel. There are many men in our day and age who trouble the church. They're subtle. They're clever. And you need men like the pastor of this church who loves you, who cares for you, who is here to protect you from these false prophets and false teachers. And you have such a man who preaches this gospel, God's gospel. I trust you will prize it, prize the gospel, and be thankful for the man who stands here and defends the gospel and cares for your souls be thankful for them pray for them that God will keep them faithful they'll be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God that is what every church needs and our nation is crying out for such men they are comparatively rare but you have such a man here be thankful and heed what he has to say. Yes, assess what he says by the scriptures, by all means. You must do that. But you have here fundamentally a man who believes the same gospel that Paul preached. The same gospel that I am preaching to you and I sought to preach here for over 40 years. I'm thankful that another man has taken up the torch and runs with that same gospel that was preached here your salvation is at stake you see Paul how horrified he was and how firm he was and how sure he was and how warm he was even to these Galatians dealing with them kindly showing them look it is Christ and Christ alone that's the gospel oh may God bring these things home 
with fresh power to our hearts, convincing us and persuading us of these things. Amen.